0: Welcome to Out on a Limb, where traditional finance and the new digital economy converge with a sense of history. My name is Tim Enneking, and this is episode 39. Uh, Today is Tuesday, June 6, 2023, and on the west coast of the United States, it's about 3.30 in the afternoon. Three topics today, uh, unlike last week or two weeks ago, which is a little bit uh, light in terms of substance, all of the topics today are quite substantive. Dive right into it. The first is the debt ceiling. Fascinating exercise, what happened, the debt ceiling, uh, both politically and financially. Uh, the debt ceiling, as I'm sure you're aware, was raised. Uh, President Biden signed the the act into law on on Friday, which is actually a bit earlier than, than I thought. The uh, Janet Yellen screaming about running out of money actually had some impact, uh, despite the fact that some folks like uh, former President Trump and others are saying, hey, it's not really that important if the U.S. defaults. A lot of people begged to, to disagree. Uh, the, the vote in the Senate was interesting. It was uh, 63 to, uh, to 36, with uh, one senator saying, oh, she was unavoidably detained. But then CNN had a picture of her running up the stairs of the Capitol to the to the entrance, and she was just late, so it was her, her excuse sort of fell apart that 's why we only had ninety nine votes and the house was fascinating because the the vote there you had more Democrats voting for the for raising the debt ceiling than you did Republicans so it was a bit of uh, in violation of what I referred to last week of tradition it was unusual to have more people from the other party uh, than from the speaker 's party yet the speaker was pushing for. The particular piece of legislation. Uh, the other interesting thing in the Senate that had to happen because the House passed the bill on Wednesday, the Senate had unanimously agreed to suspend its rules in order to hear the bill uh, and vote on the bill immediately. And even though a lot of people were quite against it, everyone agreed, okay, let's at least bring it to vote, because they knew that their vote would not prevent it, but it was uh, more symbolic, if you will. So on Wednesday, 100 senators voted to, uh, to waive rules, and the next day the, the vote and the approval, uh, the approval took place. Politically, for McCarthy, it's the most interesting because his, uh, the extreme right wing of his party was not happy with the bill. <clears throat> In the same way, the left wing of the, re, of the Democratic Party, the extreme left wing, if you will, was also not happy with it. So that it was uh, far from you far from unanimous, although there are plenty of votes to get there the uh, so both both wings fell off, and so you had uh, a centrist uh, voting block that passed the debt ceiling. Now, that used to happen a lot, I, I think back to when I was much much younger with Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan, uh, very, very uh, coming up very very uh, with very good compromises and routinely doing it and everybody realized it was the center that had to hold, almost in a military sense. We haven't seen that much at all in the last couple of pre- uh, presidencies. You saw a little bit in Barack Obama's first term, less in his second term, and very, very little in Trump's term because he really was not interested in compromising. Although, um, to give him and Congress credit, it did happen on occasion. But what we saw the debt, what we saw at the debt ceiling was a whole different level of uh, cooperation across the aisle. Very happy to see that, it doesn't happen nearly often enough from my perspective uh, because the, the compromise, the lovely definition of compromise is an agreement that leaves uh, both sides uh, equally dissatisfied. And this certainly was, had elements of that sort of definition of a compromise, but it got the deal done, it got the debt ceiling raised. The other fascinating aspect of the debt ceiling is the date that both parties agreed upon to extend the debt ceiling, essentially waive the debt ceiling. They didn't raise it to a given dollar amount, which is usually what's been done in the past. So raise it to $35 trillion or $40 trillion. Instead, they agreed to waive the debt ceiling until January 1st, 2025. And an interesting date because you have. You have the elections in 2024, uh, in late 2024, and then obviously January 1st comes very quickly there. The inauguration is on January 20th. So what both parties agreed to do, and I haven't read any analysis on why, (coughs) pardon me, but what both parties agreed to do was to have a lame duck session of Congress and potentially a lame duck uh, president if uh, Biden is voted is voted out of office, if he's not re-elected, who will then pass legislation to do something with the debt ceiling, either raise it by a, a fixed amount, eliminate the debt ceiling requirement, because I've, as I pointed out earlier, no one else, no other country in the world has this sort of uh, screwy structure where you end up voting on expenditures twice, once when you pass the specific bill and the second time when you pass the uh, when you have to raise the debt ceiling. And the debt ceiling doesn't come around every year, so it's really a catch as catch can sort of thing. Or they could decide simply to increase it again. Uh, but it will be a lame-duck Congress as well. So I don't know how that's going to play. It'll be very interesting to see. And I don't know what you know the current Congress was thinking about when they agreed on the January 1st. Of course, they're voting themselves the power to make this decision. And that may be one factor. They wanna kick out the debt ceiling until after the federal election. But as we know now, the debt ceiling discussion kicked up, really started, st- started in January, February, March, there are other things going on, banking crisis and other stuff. And then April, especially after the FOMC decision, people started thinking about the debt ceiling and, they, and the fat thinking process really kicked in in May. So if you apply that same sort of timeline, uh, by the time the election takes place on the first Tuesday after the first Monday in November, which is what the constitution says, you, people will already be thinking about the debt ceiling at that point in time. A different Congress will have been elected, potentially a different president will have been elected, but it's this Congress and this president that will vote to take action next time around on the debt ceiling. So they voted a law that gives them the ability to make a more final decision, should they want to, but also means they don't really have to live with the consequences because by that time, again, anyone who's lame duck, anyone who's not been reelected, whether they retired or something else, they will be able to vote on this bill, but they uh, may not have to live with the consequences. So a fascinating bit of political maneuvering, uh, this question of the debt ceiling is by no means gone. Uh, and in fact, it's the same people that voted this time around that are going to get another crack at it. So we'll see what happens. And obviously, the results of the of the twenty twenty four election could have a major impact on this because, in theory, uh, this same Congress could elect to kick the can down the road, pass a law that says, "Okay, we're going to we're going to waive the debt ceiling for another three months." Or another six months, just enough time for a new Congress, a new president to come in and then decide. And that of course will depend on who wins and in whose favor that is. So a a really interesting political decision and with interesting uh, financial implications, because as we know, the US hasn't been able to issue bonds since January. It's been using what Janet Yellen correctly called, I think, extraordinary measures, essentially one piece of the government borrowing from another. Well, guess what, those loans, those borrowings have to be repaid, and that means the federal government has to issue a lot of bonds to catch up and cover essentially four full months in change of what would have been bond options. So now, between now and probably the end of the third quarter, although I have a feeling it'll drift into the fourth quarter, there's approximately a trillion dollars worth of bonds that have to be sold. And of course, they have to be sold to buyers, buyers have to be willing to buy them. That means, first of all, the interest rates are not going to be able to be low because that trillion dollar raise is going to soak up a lot of liquidity. And secondly, uh, that's going to result actually in inflationary pressures uh, because the uh, interest rates will have to be higher. On the other hand, you could say there's a deflationary aspect of it because the money supply that's circulating is actually going to go down. The net effect, uh, I've heard a couple of analysts say, is it's going to be like a 25 basis point increase in interest rates. Um, This is another reason, by the way, why I don't think next week on the 14th, there's really any serious concern that the FOMC will raise interest rates. But that's our third topic, and we'll get to that in a while. So there is a, a record amount of debt that is going to be raised by the United States over the next, call it four to six months and that is going to have uh, financial uh, implications because even in the U.S., a trillion dollars is a lot of money. There's a senator, I believe, from North Dakota who once said, a billion here, a billion there, pretty soon you're talking real money. Hard as it is to believe, we may have to update that phrase to be a trillion here, a trillion there, and pretty soon you're talking about real money. Don't think we're quite at that point yet, but when the, when the deficit is $31 trillion, unfortunately, we're moving into that neighborhood. The second topic, nothing to do with TradFi and all that funky political stuff. It is purely crypto. And that is what the SEC did yesterday, which got huge play. Uh, that is, it filed suit against Binance, mostly Binance US. And uh, its CEO is known, an owner, who's known as CZ, uh, filed 13 different counts and got a huge amount of attention. Crypto markets plunged. Well, plunged by current standards, it was about a five percent drop in in Bitcoin, actually more like a four percent drop in Bitcoin, which at one point in time people would have just slept through nowadays that's a fairly big move stunningly today, even though there was another bit of bad news uh the recovery is almost complete. The high yesterday was twenty seven four seventy two that was a bit of a spike it was really around twenty seven 200 was where BTC was trading, and now it is at 27130 and it's crossed 27200 a couple of times. So remarkably, there's been an almost complete recovery, and not just remarkable because of the Binance news, remarkable because of the Coinbase news. SEC filed suit against Coinbase today, basically saying, hey, you're an illegal securities exchange. The Binance suit was much juicier because it had things like money laundering and co-mingling in it, but at bottom, it was basically the same thing, Euro Securities Exchange. The Coinbase lawsuit also came out basically along the same lines, and it had got almost no airplay. Fiat Press was alive with news. CNBC, Bloomberg, even, even CNN and other non financial publications had it on their first page. Uh, and today, when the news about Coinbase comes out, it wasn't a big deal. Now, Coinbase is suing the SEC to to uh, actually for a couple of reasons, but basically to to say what the rules that we're all supposed to follow or crypto exchanges are supposed to follow are and the SEC has refused to do that. Plus Ripple, which runs the XRP token is also suing the SEC and looks like it's actually uh, winning quite handily so far and some of the rulings there and the final decision there uh, will have some interesting precedent for uh, the current lawsuits. Uh, Ripple, by the way, says that it spent approximately $200 million uh, defending itself against the, um, the SEC lawsuit and suing the SEC itself, as Coinbase is. In any event, uh, the amazingly crypto is almost completely recovered within 24 hours. And I say amazingly a bit tongue in cheek because, first of all, what does it really matter to the sector? how many exchanges you have. You have a million exchanges that are all being sued by the SEC. The SEC, although it may not want to admit it, only has jurisdiction in the United States. So non-U.S. exchanges are just fine. And the long-term effect may be quite limited, even though Binance is a very large Exchange. I used uh, I still use the analogy with my team here. This is like the Dell's accepting crypto in crypto news Five six years ago Dell computer came out and said hey, we're gonna accept Bitcoin as payment for our uh, For the hardware that we're selling and sure enough Bitcoin skyrocketed went up 20 odd percent and within three days It was back down to where it was because that news while nice is really doesn't really substantively affect day-to-day trading the Binance news is a lot like that, too. Sure, a lot of US, uh, U.S. investors or U.S. traders who have been using Binance through a VPN, they probably pulled their, pulled their crypto out. And certain other people may have as well, just because of a general uh, concern about Binance, even though it's Binance U.S. And, and the CEO that are the focus of the lawsuit, not Binance International. But withdrawals, you know, I've seen a couple articles that withdrawals have increased but you don't really know because you're dependent on Binance for that information. But I'm sure that's happened. I'm sure the assets on Binance, uh, both exchanges, has uh, the assets, the number of assets have uh, has decreased perhaps considerably. But ultimately, it doesn't really fundamentally affect the price of the tokens themselves. And so, as you see, they re- they've recovered and they're recovering now. The Coinbase news, just it's same old, same old, right? It's, uh, the, the, uh, uh, you, you hear the information the first time, something happens the first time, and you pay a lot of attention to it by the time it's happened the second or third time, it's no longer front page news. Even in crypto, in crypto media, the Coinbase news got far less play than uh, the Binance news uh, on the same day. Interestingly, the SEC, this is why I was making my so only half joking comment about the SEC not wanting to limit itself to the United States, the SEC announced today that it wants to free Binance U.S. assets worldwide. Uh, the rationale there is the SEC com- uh, is claiming that Binance U.S. and Binance have commingled some assets and there have been some transfers between them. And I'm sure they have to some degree. They're affiliated companies. But the SEC wants to use that to try to get at Binance assets, not just Binance U.S. assets. Uh, Binance International is as big as all the other major exchanges combined, so, if the SEC gets at that at those assets it's going to really cause problems for CZ and for his exchange uh, so we'll see what happens. Um, the other impact of the SEC taking this action, and I referred this in uh, uh, several probably uh, out on limb episodes, is that if the if the SEC and the CFTC, which is also sued by nancy u s by the way for different on different grounds, if they uh, particularly the SEC continues to or what people call regulation by enforcement. In other words, not make it clear what rules apply to crypto. And the SEC is saying, hey, we're making it very clear. There are no exceptions. There are securities goodbye. But it's really not that simple because, for a lot of reasons, but one of the biggest is that some tokens may have been securities when they were initially issued. And I use the word issued advisedly, but they are no longer because there is actually utility to them. And so they're used to purchase and sell goods or services or something like that. There's been an evolution. And even the SEC has recognized that that evolution can take place. Uh, there really is a separate body of rules that is required to, to govern crypto. And because the SEC and the CFTC are both claiming that they have jurisdiction, the SEC saying, hey, all crypto is securities. CFTC is saying, no, crypto is commodities. Um, there, uh, there, there are issues there that should be resolved, which means Binance US gets sued by both of them. Uh, and I haven't gone through each and every detail of each action, but I'm, I'm quite certain that we would find at least tangential contradictions between those two lawsuits, uh, which puts Binance US in a really uh, interesting position. So we need uh, the United States, like uh, Europe with Mika, which is with its digital assets law, that. Uh, Is about to come into effect and was passed by all 27 nations. The United States needs a crypto law, and there are several people in Congress who have introduced them. But the Democrats want more regulation. The Republicans want less regulation. Both being true to their to their origins pre 10 year pre over the last 10 years, where the uh, Republicans believe in theory and more in uh, sit, the citizenry and let the citizenry citizenry decide for itself. And the, the historical democratic way of doing things is let's pass a law so that the citizenry can't make so many mistakes. And so there's a real divide in Congress. Surprise, surprise. The the fact that a debt ceiling compromise was was arranged gives some hope, but let's face it, the the idea of crypto legislation does not rise anywhere near to the level of something like the debt ceiling. So I just don't think there's enough pressure in the US to force uh, a divided Congress to unite and agree on a unified approach. In the meantime, what's happening is crypto projects are just fleeing from the United States with the exception of Puerto Rico because of the exemption on future capital gains after you move there. So the US is really being Uh, isolated from a lot of crypto developments. And two years ago, people might have said, oh, my God, that's a horrible thing. Now, after 2022, after Celsius and Terra Luna and FTX, um, the Congress is basically taking the attitude, well, you know, if you're going to leave, you know, don't let the door hit your rear end on the way out. Right. Good riddance. And so there's not really a huge desire because crypto is in one of its slow phases now which happens every three or four years, um, actually four years in in conjunction with the the Bitcoin halving, which we'll we'll probably have uh, next spring. So I just don't see there being much regulatory clarity or regulatory relief in the United States. So regulation by enforcement will almost certainly continue to be uh, the only entry on the menu for crypto in the United States. The third and last point, as I mentioned earlier, was... Uh, the June FOMC meeting; they meet uh, next Tuesday and Wednesday. They announced announce next Wednesday. As those of you who have listened to this podcast are completely familiar, I don't expect any increases or decreases between now and the end of the year. Uh, that seems it seems fairly certain that that will be a correct prediction for June, because uh, although the the target has moved around a lot and the percentage estimations moved around a lot, the last I saw it was about thirty percent. You know, as I mentioned last week, we have some things, some news that is uh, inflationary, uh, such things as uh, PCE, perhaps, and the, the JOLTS, the job openings uh, report, which which just crept above 10 million from just below 10 million. And then to other news like inflation, which is a real mixed bag uh, with consumer spending up at a very high level. So the, the, the Fed, after raising, you know, 5% uh, interest rates over just a little over uh, just a little over a year, is uh, inclined to pause to see if it's done enough. So bonds, which depending on the duration and, and the price you're willing to pay, have an implicit percentage calculation of what the odds are. Bonds, last I looked, I think a day or two ago, were pricing in a 30% chance of a 25 basis point increase virtually no chance of a 50 and 70% that there would be there wouldn't be a move i think that's safe to say july is more interesting because of the the mixed messages not a clear drop in inflationary factors there is a fairly high bet on july uh, the last meeting uh, before of the before summer before the august break the, uh, the fmc never meets in august but this year since it meets every six weeks and it's meeting in late July, there isn't a scheduled meeting actually in August even be skipped. So the next meeting will be early about the 10th or so of September. Uh, The general consensus is there will be a a 25 basis point increase in July. Uh, Again, I I don't think that's the case, but in any event, it it will certainly be uh, uh, data dependent, as Paul likes to say. And so we'll see what happens with all the various readings between. Between now and the uh, and the end of July, uh, especially assuming there is no increase in June, which uh, as I said is very likely, so we'll uh, we'll see what other developments there are. There isn't a, any extraordinary data that's scheduled to come out between now and next and next uh, Wednesday. So basically, some small reports coming out, but uh, basically the FOMC has the data it's going to have to make a, a decision on uh, the fact that the. The $1 trillion uh, fundraise that the U.S. is going to have to do now that the debt ceiling has been raised, that is clearly a factor that the FOMC will take into consideration. It's a destabilizing factor. And I think that reduces the odds even further that the FOMC will increase interest rates next, next week. And there you have it, a very interesting week. Uh, lots of very big news that's happened, big events. Uh, leading up into what's probably going to be a very, very quiet August, as people can just uh, wipe their brow and be glad that they've survived uh, the first half of this year. Hope everyone has a good week.